Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host for the next 30 minutes, yours truly, Brian Chilton, as we seek to take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Religious freedom is a fundamental right built within the DNA of the United States of America. But now those freedoms are under attack. Even some of the more skeptically inclined now readily admit that religious freedoms are under assault. An example of such an attack on religious liberties comes from the California legislators who recently posed a a state senate bill titled SB 1146 that greatly restricts the religious activities and expectations that religious schools in the state of California can hold for its staff and students. Such a bill could greatly impact Christian schools and universities, such as Biola University in La Mirada, California. On today's podcast, we are joined by Dr. Scott Waller, Chair of the Political Science Department and Associate Professor of Political Science at Biola University. Dr. Waller holds graduate degrees in both philosophy and political science. Dr. Waller earned his M.A. in Philosophy of Religion and Ethics from Talbot School of Theology, his M.A. in Politics, and his Ph.D. in Political Science from Claremont Graduate University, specializing in the fields of American politics and political theory. His research interests involve the intersection of religion and politics, jurisprudence concerning the First Amendment religion clauses, and the evolving role of the judiciary within the American political order. 
He is a frequent guest on local radios uh, discussing American politics and a frequent speaker to the general Christian community on issues of importance for believers to consider. He has been on Greg Kokel's Stand to Reason broadcast and published two books. He has been married to his wife, Kathy, for over 25 years, and they have two children, ages 18 and 15. So, Dr. Waller, it is an honor and privilege to have you with us today on the Bellator Christie podcast. Well, thank you, Brian. It's a delight to be with you. And I have to say, first and foremost, I love me some Greg Kokel. I love his uh, broadcast, Stand to Reason. I've been listening to him for, for quite some time. Yes, indeed. He's doing very good work. Well, first and foremost, uh, would you mind sharing your testimony, as we often do uh, with our guests, with and uh, how you came to know Christ as Savior? Well, I'd be delighted to do that. Uh, I don't get opportunity to do this uh, uh, enough. Um, uh, I uh, came to Christ as an 18-year-old college freshman. Um, I was uh, a, a uh, not a typical college student in the sense that I uh, went to uh, university in Missouri, uh, primarily to play basketball. My dad was uh, 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 quite a basketball sensation when he was in college, and my and my goal was to follow in his footsteps. So, uh, with uh, uh, with a very real intent of of uh, being all that I could be in in the basketball world. And uh, to make a long story short, that that uh, that goal was cut short very quickly during my time in college, and. Uh, it caused me to start to reflect on the meaning and purpose in life. And it was at that time that a friend of mine who was a floor leader on my hall in a dormitory shared with me that that real meaning and purpose in life was not found in putting an orange ball in an iron hoop, but it was found in a relationship with the God who had created me. And I I tell you, that just struck me like a hot knife through butter. It just... uh, it resonated with me, and, and uh, I went back to my dorm room that night and prayed to trust in Christ and got involved in an uh, early Bible study, asking all the questions that a new believer would ask and grew in my faith. By the time I got out of uh, my four years of college, I was uh, leading Bible studies myself, doing evangelism on campus, and, and a Christian uh, lead, uh, leader in a Christian uh, movement there on campus. So um, at the time, the, the Christian group that I was involved with was called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now called Crew. And the model and motto of, of Campus Crusade, or, and now Crew, was to turn lost students into Christ-centered laborers. And I'm, I'm uh, privileged to say that that really, in a nutshell, describes my life as a college student. set me on the course that I'm on today. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're on the East Coast, and you're on the West Coast, and uh, for, for many people, they may not realize Biola University is a powerful Christian university in La Mirada, California, um, and, and could you share with our listeners a bit about the history and mission of Biola University? Sure. Um, Biola, Biola University is, is, a, um, uh, is a place where evangelicals come to get higher education and I think it's one of the premier schools in the country and in the in the world to do it we've we've been involved in in training young minds and and challenging and uh, trying to be involved in the thought centers of, of uh, at least certainly the American 
culture and, and increasingly in the international culture for over 100 years. And as a, a speaker who came across our campus described Biola, he said it's where smart evangelicals go to get their education. And I'm, there are other wonderful institutions who have similar missions, but we're pleased to be identified with, with such a mission. Amen. Well, and that makes our conversation today even more important, in my opinion. Uh, recently, a state Senate bill named SB 1146 uh, was considered in the state of California. Uh, would you mind explaining the uh, overall general details of this bill? Sure. Well, the intent of uh, Senate Bill 1146 is to uh, do two things. One is it's to narrow the scope of what counts as being religious, and it also uh, removes the carve-out or the exceptions that used to be granted to religious institutions like Biola um, in, in terms of getting exceptions to laws of general applicability concerning uh, discriminations, uh, illegal uh, discriminations or illegal discriminations based upon uh, race, sex, class, gender, these kinds of things. It used to be that there would be uh, a setting in which laws of general application dictated that an institution, uh, a business, uh, a college, uh, individuals could not uh, legally discriminate based upon those classifications, but there was always a carve-out for religion. Um, and so really our discussion today takes us back to last summer when the court had a very narrow five-to-four decision, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, uh, redefined marriage um, to also include same-sex marriage. And that has set the legal community on a, on a course that has set the stage for bills like 1146 to come out of California, um, which essentially says this, that the days have gone by where religious exceptions will be granted to these laws of general applicability. And so particularly regarding sexual identity and particularly regarding definitions of marriage, uh, the proponents of this bill in California argue that religious uh, freedom claims are are no longer sufficient to grant these exceptions that mm. the law used to provide for. So this this definitely does seem to be an an assault on religious liberties in California. Oh, there's no question about it. Uh, the, this is this is uh, clearly in the wake of the Obergefell decision, which is the case I, m- I mentioned from last summer, legalizing gay marriage. Uh, from the court, at least legalizing it, um, and it, it, it clearly is is the motivating force behind the proponents of this bill, who seek to have California be the cutting edge of the sword uh, regarding these kinds of things. So I would I would uh, caution your listeners who, if they're in the South, to think that these are only things that are going to happen in California. Uh, with these crazy left co- left coasters, um, that this kind of thing is only the tip of the spear, and that will be in the days and years ahead, uh, seeking to move itself around the country. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of the um, threat or the assault on religious liberties and Biola and other Christian universities uh, existing, holding to biblical convictions as they do. 
how would this bill affect Biola and other religious schools uh, should SB 1146 pass through uh, all the necessary avenues? Uh, what would be expected? What are the effects that would take place? Well, first of all, the the, the language of the bill is uh, being sort of negotiated and hammered out right now on, in, on one side in the California Assembly right now. But the, the net effect of this bill um, would be, despite, um, despite claims otherwise that the proponents are making, um, and this is usually the way that these things work. If you, there, there are a couple ways to motivate people with carrots and sticks, and and um, this one has, this one is the carrot strategy. That if you want to continue to have your students um, at at a place like Biola or a, another religious institution similarly suited, if you want to have your students still be eligible to receive what's called Cal Grant money, it's a state-based program that provides funding for uh, lower to uh, middle-income kind of uh, students that come from families of that socioeconomic status. If you want your students to continue to be eligible to apply for Cal Grant money, you will comply with this uh, with the standards set by this by this Bill 1146. If an institution fails to comply with that. And failing to comply with that, in our view, would remain would be, would would entail that we be consistent with religious orthodoxy concerning uh, sexuality and marriage. Uh, then, then these students would no longer be considered eligible to receive that money. Mm. So they go they go right for the financial jugular, is what I guess I'm saying. Right, right, absolutely. So, would would this well, with it being on the on the federal level, I know like student loans and things of that nature would would that be affected in California, or is that, uh, that... not at least initially? That's a, that's under Title IX, and that's a federal issue. This is this is a Senate bill drafted and and uh, affecting at least initially just us here in California in terms of a state program um, called Cal Grant and its and its funding. It doesn't have anything to do with Pell Grants and and federal money, but uh, uh, it's just a question of time before that kind of effort would uh, would come out of Washington. Well, and, and you really have already answered this question. I want to kind of rephrase it in a, to go to a different way. Worst case scenario, say this passes, how how long do you think it would be before other states uh, make the move to have similar legislation uh, across the country? Brian, I think the answer to that is, is in very short order. Um, there, uh, well, I was raised in the Midwest, and there was an old phrase, as California goes, so goes the nation. And I think uh, the velocity at which that is true is going to be uh, uh, only accelerated in this particular case. So if if 1146, which has already passed the California Senate, moves through the assembly in short order and is signed uh, by the governor and goes into effect, um, litigation would would follow immediately. Um, I know that uh, I have good reason to believe that places like Biola and other similarly situated institutions out here, and not just on the evangelical side, but uh, the Catholic uh, institutions as well, as well, I believe, um, would file suit uh, seeking a stay and an injunction that this uh, that 
the effect of this would be delayed until the court system um, has had a look at the constitutionality of it, because our argument, of course, would be that the details of 1146 directly violate religious free exercise rights in this country. Hmm. Well, I guess this brings to another question. If the bill did pass, what would life look like? Could Christian schools continue, you know, Christian schools, well, just just say religious schools, Catholic schools, evangelical schools, uh, and other like-minded schools, would they be able to continue to exist, or what would life look like uh, under such legislation if it did indeed pass? Well, um, to answer that question, I would say that the true intent of this bill is to eliminate dissent, both in terms of um, well, in terms of eliminating any kind of public dissent to a new religious or uh, a new sexual orthodoxy in this country, um, uh, I believe wholeheartedly that that the motivations for these bills is cloaked in language that 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 seems innocuous to protect the rights of gay citizens and students and this kind of thing. But the true intent is to silence any kind of dissent. If there's going to be any conflict between these newfound sexual liberties and religious liberties, proponents of this bill are going to ensure that the sexual liberties will win and that, uh, as one proponent of this bill says, these religious people can believe anything they want. They just are not going to be allowed to act upon it. Mm. And that's the real intent of the bill. So to answer your question uh, more shortly, what, how would this affect the, the longevity and the continued viability of of uh, places like Biola and, and similarly situated institutions? And the answer is, um, if, if this goes through the court system and something like SB 1146 is ruled constitutional, um, then, then there's really two courses of action. One is that, that institutions like Biola would have to um, have a different funding source for these uh, lower-income students to continue to have the choice to come to places like Biola. So private funding and, and other uh, type funding uh, avenues of that sort would have to be pursued. And, and those, are, those, those are no easy things to, to pull off overnight. Um, the other possibility is um, that uh, an institution like Biola would cease to be able to exist in the manner that it's existed for over 110 years. Well, no. I, I hate to be so sobering on this. I, I, I've done, I've actually had a lot of opportunity to speak to the Christian community on this, and I always preface my comments by saying, I hate to be the guy that comes in and has really nothing but, but bad news to offer, but these are sobering times, and the velocity by which these things are happening are really taking place at a breathtaking pace to the point where... Um, uh, unless the Christian community wakes up and has these sobering conversations and realizes the the serious threat that things like 1146 and others ha- have offered, that, that we're going to be bowled over and that religious freedom in this country will look very different. And you know, Dr. Waller, I think you're absolutely right about this because, you know, many people in the Christian community have been warning that if certain things took place, like the Supreme Court decision, that things like this were were coming up, and 
my goodness, it's happened almost identically as what we were warned would happen. Yes, there's been quite a few of us who were, in days gone by, accused of being sort of the, uh, uh, you know, oh, come on, it's not that bad kind of thing. And and there were even voices from the, the political and ideological left saying, Oh, no, no, by, by no means. If, if gay marriage ever is ratified by the U.S. Supreme Court, there will be, there'll be no attempt to impinge upon existing religious liberties in these areas, and those, uh, those assurances have, were really hollow. And many of us were saying that at the time, that these assurances um, from, from uh, our legal opponents on these kinds of issues were, were, were indeed hollow, and they've proven them to be the case. And and it's really the velocity by which um, it has shown itself to be the case that's really the most scary thing to sort of say to people. This is kind of on a different note, but you're you're a professional political analyst. Do you see such a thing coming to churches? Do you think that this push will eventually affect evangelical churches? the country where we're seeing, uh, for example, I think it was this summer in Iowa that, that Iowa churches were ruled as uh, institutions of what's called public accommodation. Anybody is welcome to attend a church. And so there's already attempts in Iowa, and this is certainly not the, the crazy left coast that we're talking about in terms of Iowa, uh, where an attempt has been made to classify a church as a institution of public accommodation. And it, it very it's, it is being legally challenged now as to whether a pastor can deliver a sermon espousing a traditional understanding of sexuality and marriage as to whether that might be viewed as hate speech and 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 uh, therefore prescribed type speech and possibly um, criminalizable kind of speech. So it's coming, Brian. Do, do you see a time where pastors could be forced to perform same-sex marriages? I do. Um, uh, you know, I, I spent half of this summer in Washington D.C., and I and I can tell you that the lobby, the legal and political lobby that would be proponents of these kinds of efforts, are systematic. They have a goal. And that the that the end goal is to remove all legal and political dissent um, to this uh, lifestyle, and uh, and churches are clearly on that radar. What what we're already seeing, and this is a dangerous constitutional environment that we find ourselves in, increasingly where religious institutions stand before the bars of court, um, pleading with the government, uh, essentially to grant them a kind of religious status. Um, and what I mean by that is that these, um, that there is a long-standing history for religious exceptions in this country to laws of general applicability, and that religious exception under the term religion was a broad understanding of what, what, uh, what would constitute suitably religious. Uh, this administration... Has, has been the first administration to take a much more narrow understanding of what constitutes a religious organization. Um, Biola University and other uh, Christian institutions 
have active lawsuits against the Health and Human Services Department um, over the uh, Affordable Care Act mandates concerning contraceptions and what we view as beyond contraceptions to be abortifacients. And this administration in, in, uh, in Washington right now has taken a very narrow view of what constitutes a religious entity, and, and their view is that places like Biola University are not religious institutions under the, their understanding of religious. Mm. Well, and, and I know we're kind of going a little different direction. What could pastors do to protect themselves? And because I myself am a pastor, I mean, would it come to a point in time where a pastor could say, you know, I'm not doing any more weddings? Would, would that be a, a, a safety in, in doing that, or is there anything they could do? Well, I'm not a legal expert on this issue, but from what I have read um, from the legal experts, what they're, what they're saying to uh, uh, churches and religious institutions in general is to make sure they have very clear guidelines in, on, in terms of what their policies are and what they have been um, and so that people on the front end can understand the stance of, of the organization or the church in question, such that if issues ever come before a court of law, the legal argument can be made that, that it was all um, clear from the beginning, the stance of this religious organization. So if you as a pastor have made it clear um, what what you understand the, the religious teachings of Christianity to entail regarding sexuality and marriage, and and that that uh, uh, if if you seek to be married by the pastor in this church, there are certain guidelines that you would that you would agree to and assent to on the front end, and so all that has been encouraged to make that more overt and explicit so that uh, the eventual legal challenges that I think will come within the next five to seven years on that, on that particular question um, will be harder to circumvent. Wow. Well, I'm going to tell you what, this is, a, this is <laughs> probably one, one of the most important podcasts I've done in quite some time. And again, I appreciate you being with us uh, to discuss these issues. Well, what can California Christians do to defeat this bill? And in addition, what can we as Christians all across the country, of course, we're coming from uh, North Carolina here, uh, but what are, what are things that we can, as uh, uh, Christians all across the nation can do to, to help support uh, California institutions like Biola University? We certainly have our elected uh, members. Uh, the, the bill has already moved through the Senate and, and passed pretty handily. In California, we are basically a one-party state. Um, there are no Republicans who hold statewide office, and the Republicans in the legislature are in a significant minority. So this is really being driven by the state's uh, only really uh, player in, in politics out here, the Democratic Party. We have a Democratic governor, and, a, and, and the Democrats enjoy a, a substantial majority in both houses of the legislature. So um, Christians out here are being encouraged to contact their, legislature, their, their legislators, um, even if uh, uh, when they're calling these assembly uh, persons to office that they may be calling an office of a party that they don't support, they're nevertheless encouraged to do this. The problem is, Brian, is that uh, despite 
a, a burgeoning and, and, and pretty hefty uh, effort in that regard that the bill sponsors under the uh, advice and guidance of the American Civil Liberties Union has actually only made the bill worse mm. uh, in terms of threatening religious freedom. So the phones of different assemblymen and women have been ringing off the hook in Sacramento. And uh, despite that, um, the bill's authors have only sought to make the language more restrictive and more threatening to religious freedom. Um, this is something that, that I think is, a, is going to serve as a wake-up call um, to the rest of the country. So you've asked what, what, other, what people in other states uh, around the country can do. Um, certainly pray for us. Um, we need the Lord to intervene in a, in a mighty way here to slow this down and, and to defeat this because this is a existential threat to Christian colleges and universities here in the state. But as we've already talked about, this will not stop here and that the agenda that these uh, uh, folks are, are seeking is much broader than simply the state of California. So I guess one thing we can do is obviously pray. Uh, that's the most important thing. And I guess, would you say this upcoming election season to make sure we go out and vote as well? Yeah, there's no question. And that's a, that's a sensitive topic because the two primary choices that we have in this election uh, uh, are, are troublesome for evangelicals. I, right. I, uh, this is this is sort of an area that I uh, am am conversant in, and I and I wrote an article for the Federalist uh, arguing that that uh, evangelical support of Trump, and even just to throw the term evangelical out there, is a, a very broad term and and um, includes a lot of people um, who who may or may not be truly evangelical in their practices and beliefs. But nevertheless, uh, uh, Mr. Trump did enjoy the support of a, at least a plurality of evangelicals and, and late in the primary season enjoyed a majority support amongst evangelicals um, in the later primary states. Um, you know, the choice, the choice is pretty clear in terms of what I think Mrs. Clinton would do in this regard. Mrs. Clinton has... Uh, spoken on several different occasions with some particularly alarming rhetoric advocates of religious freedom. She's argued that under this under this new understanding of marriage and sexuality that religious beliefs must give way. Um, she has increasingly equated uh, religious free exercise with the freedom to worship and those are two very different things. Um, if if the First Amendment only speaks to your freedom to worship, uh, then then the argument will be raised that things like 1146 don't do anything to affect your ability to worship. Aren't you free to show up to your Bible study and your church on Sunday? Um, sure. Well, then this has no effect on your First Amendment religious freedoms if religious freedom only means the, the freedom to worship. Um, but on the other side, uh, I think from what I've seen from Mr. Trump, he has uh, he had a very high-profile meeting in New York with some leading evangelical leaders. Uh, from what I wasn't invited to the meeting, but from what I've heard from those who were there, that the results were largely positive, um, with some mixed reservations in this regard. Uh, Mr. Trump speaks a, a, a quite clunkily, I think, to the religious community. His uh, uh, two Corinthians. Uh, 
comments and others demonstrate that he's making an effort um, to reach out to a very important constituency within the Republican Party. But all that to say, um, the results of the election in November are highly pertinent to what we're going to see here, especially given the fact that there's, there is one open seat on the U.S. Supreme Court already, and it's likely that the next president will appoint uh, three, maybe four more uh, hmm. in the next four years. Wow. Well, Dr. Waller, it has been an honor and privilege to have you with us today. Thank you so much. For Dr. Scott Waller, this has been Brian Chilton, and you've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. God bless, and we'll see you back next time. Southern Evangelical Seminary presents The Defense Never Rests the National Conference on Christian Apologetics. Coming to Charlotte, North Carolina, October 13 through 15, 2016. Come be equipped to defend the faith. This three-day event features over 100 sessions from more than 50 speakers, including many of the world's top Christian thinkers, such as Lee Strobel, author of many books, including The Case for Christ, Jay Sekulow, chief counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice, SES co-founder Norman Geisler, and SES president Richard Land, veteran apologist Josh McDowell, Frank Turek, Jay Warner Wallace, SES professors, and many more. Join us for America's largest and longest-running apologetics conference. Thursday is a dedicated day for women only. Register now and save. It's time to get off the sidelines and get into the game. The defense never rests. To learn more, visit ses.edu. Southern Evangelical Seminary. On campus, online, on mission. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.